Well, if you will be seated, we'll talk about that kind of love that is just not reciprocal. It is initiating. We're going to continue on with talking about the greatest sermon ever preached on holiness, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, Jesus doesn't let us off the hook again uh, this week. There's, there's got to be a week here where it doesn't apply to me, you know. Um, and I, we keep thinking, but no. All of these things are temptations that all of us have personally. They're things that need to be dealt with in our lives. The anger and the lust and the trade, trying to figure out what would be a better relationship than I have right now and, and the hypocrisy. This week we're going to talk about our propensity to want to retaliate in kind for the times we've been hurt. And how destructive and futile that is. And we tried to think of how we could really get into this and one of the first thoughts that came to our mind was Shakespeare. For those of you who love uh, Shakespeare's work, you know that there are uh, a few major themes that run throughout practically every one of his works. And for the major tragedies, um, the theme of uh, manipulation of relationships, of lives that are destroyed because of the futility of wanting to either strike back or somehow replace another person or change another person. You can think of all of the plots. Hamlet ends with the, with the quote, uh, uh, I am surely killed by my own treachery. He tried to manipulate situations until he himself was destroyed. Same thing happens in Romeo and Juliet and Macbeth and Othello. Probably the picture, though, of, of uh, the personification of revenge comes in The Merchant of Venice, where Shylock, who is the Jewish um, um, moneylender, has on the hook a Christian who cannot pay his debt. And the contract that he has calls for the payment of the debt, or he can literally exact a pound of flesh. Now, Shylock is a Jew, and so therefore has been subject for years to discrimination on that account. And so when it comes to a plea to Shylock to have some other way to work out this particular contract, to have mercy somehow, not doing without justice, but to have mercy somehow, he cannot be dissuaded. Listen. Why, this is the bond, and lawfully by this I may claim a pound of flesh to be by me, cut off nearest his heart. Let him look to his bond. Well, I am sure if he forfeit, I will take his flesh to bait fish withal. If it feed nothing else, it will feed my revenge. He hath disgraced me and hindered me half a million, laughed at my losses, mocked at my gains, scorned my nation, cooled my friends, heeded mine enemies, and what's reason? I am a Jew. 
Hath not a Jew eyes? Hath not a Jew hands, organs, dimensions, senses, affections, passions? Fed with the same food, hurt with the same weapons, subject to the same diseases, healed by the same means, warmed and cooled by the same summer and winter as is a Christian? If you prick us, do we not bleed? If you tickle us, do we not laugh? If you poison us, do we not die? And if you wrong us, shall we not revenge? If we are like you in the rest, we shall resemble you in this. If a Jew wrong a Christian, what is his humility? Revenge. If a Christian wrong a Jew, what shall his sufferance be by Christian example? Why revenge? The villainy you teach me, I will execute, and it shall go hard, but I will better the instruction. We can hear from that tone that it is not just about a personal relationship. There is an accumulation of hurt. There is an accumulation of resentment that a person wants to pay off in a particular relationship. For those of you who know the play, you will know the irony of what happened. You see, even though the judge upheld the legal payment of a pound of flesh, the judge says, you can have the flesh but it doesn't include anything in the contract about blood. And so unless you can cut that pound of flesh without shedding blood, you must forfeit all. How scripturally symbolic that someone would pay attention only to the flesh and not to the blood. How scripturally true that if we look only to the response of the flesh, we will lose everything, and our only salvation comes in the consideration of the blood. We'll talk more about that later on. But let's look now, as Jesus described it, to our own propensity and the futility of personal retaliation when we're hurt. It says in verse 38 of Matthew chapter 5 that there has been a tradition handed down, but what it doesn't say is that that tradition has been perverted. If you will read with me, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You've heard that continually, haven't you? By the way, if you want to see that in the Old Testament, there are several places. One of them is Leviticus chapter 24, verse 19 and 20. I'm going to read that to you so that I can give you the setting that, that those words originally had. That's very important. You see, they were organizing for community life. And so the law was laid down. If a man injures his neighbor. Now I want you to see, I want you to sense the language here. This is an objective, 
community standard. This is not a personal one-to-one retaliation. If, I, if my na- neighbor injures me, it's if a man injures his neighbor. It's a community thing. Um, just as he has done, so it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Just as he has injured a man, so it shall be inflicted on him. In other words, this is the important point. There was never permission in the Jewish community to use Scripture to give us the liberty to exact our own retaliation on an individual. It was always put forth for the community and was the way that the community could give some semblance of justice. Now, the reason for this is very clear. If I'm given permission to get even with a perpetrator, with someone who has hurt me, whose standard of even is to be used? Will my standard of what gets even match his standard? Not likely. Will my standard of getting even uh, match anybody else's who can, who can look upon it uh, uh, objectively? Not likely. So therefore, from the very beginning, the Bible never gave us permission to retaliate in kind person to person. Never did. But yet, by the time Jesus walks the earth, that's exactly how they're using this scripture. And Jesus says, But I say to you, do not resist him who is evil. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, I want to point something out to you here. This is not to say you cannot defend yourself if someone is trying to physically hurt you. This is not about a fight. Think about it for a minute. Most of us are right-handed. In order to slap somebody on the right cheek, somebody standing opposite from us, how, do, how would the blow have to come? It would have to come from the back of the hand. That's not a fight, that's an insult. And so Jesus is saying, when somebody insults you physically, they hurt you a little bit, but mostly it's an insult. He says, then you just need to turn to him the other cheek. I'm sure it never occurred to him to say, if somebody bites you on the right ear, But anyhow, but he goes on. He goes on from personal injury to personal attack through the law. He says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. And whoever shall force you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Now, this is for people who are in need. This is not an excuse for laziness. It says in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, if a person doesn't work, he doesn't eat. And so, therefore, this is not an excuse to support somebody in their indolence. This is saying you can think of every excuse, every legal excuse, how not to help somebody. You can think of every hard excuse why not to help. Don't do that. Your love must be more initiative, have more initiative than that. Now, let's stop right here and let me just give you the picture of this section. Jesus is saying a couple of things to us here. If you, if you step back and you take a look at, at, at it as a whole, first of all, he's saying, you know what, to live is to be taken advantage of. You're not coming into an ideal world. 
I, I don't know whether people have told you yet, but people are not basically generous. They're, they're usually out to get more than they have. And it's usually easier to take what you have rather than work for it on their own. And so there will always be people who want to take advantage of you. That's just the world. And Jesus is not trying to sugarcoat the world. He's not trying to make it seem better than it is. He's saying this is a matter of course. You will be taken advantage of. But, he's saying, the cure for that is not in personal retaliation. People who hurt you, this seems like a personal attack. And it seems like it's a one-to-one -one thing. It's not. Just as our example with Shylock, who was very angry because he had accumulated much hurt over the years, and when it came to a person, he vented all of that on that person. That wasn't about that person. That was about what was going on in Shylock's head. So too, people who have hurt you it's not really been about you. It's been about what happened to them. It's been about what they've carried around, what they've accumulated for years. And so therefore, if the hurt is not about you, the cure is not about them. It is not a personal relationship adjustment that will fix that situation very well. Because the cause is so much broader. The Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against the principalities and powers. It's a much more complicated, much more nebulous cause. And so therefore, to wade in and try to engage somebody personally and think you're going to fix it, you're barking up the wrong tree. It's not going to be fixed like that. Uh, I think it was, uh, uh, I can't remember his name, it was an old preacher, George Buttrick, who said, that when, 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 when uh, moving pictures first came out, before they were ever talking pictures, uh, they, they used to have these, uh, these times scheduled in these saloons that they would, they would show these moving pictures, even way out west, in the most primitive of conditions. And he said, periodically, cowboys would ride in from the range because they heard about these moving pictures and they wanted, to, they wanted to see them. And you remember, you've seen some of those silent pictures the villains are really villainous. I mean, they're dressed in black and they come in and they shoot things and they steal things and they, they terrorize the heroine uh, and they, they drag her all over and she's, she's going like that. And, and Buttrick said, literally, when these cowboys rode in from the range and they watched those first pictures, they got so angry at those villains, they would literally pull out their guns and start shooting him. What they didn't realize is they were just destroying the furniture. They weren't fixing the plot. We've got to understand that too. That just to try to hurt someone else is not fixing the plot. That's just destroying the furniture. And so Jesus is saying, it really is not going to do you much good to try to retaliate. As a matter of fact, later on I'll tell you why it could do you personal harm. But the second thing that, that he wants us to understand is that God didn't make a mistake when he left us in a world that didn't stay in Eden. You see, the second question that comes up for people is, why would God let me get hurt like that? Why, why would God let me get taken advantage of like that? Well, the answer, the academic answer is because 
we didn't stay in Eden and we're not to heaven yet. And so we're living in this world of, of sin and there's just a lot of hurt in this world. But the broader answer and the deeper answer is this. The sovereignty of God knows that two things can, can destroy us. One is pain and the other is pleasure. The sovereignty of God knows also two things can make us stronger. One is pain and the other is pleasure. Now, let's talk about the pain because that's what we're talking about today. The pain is a very plain and evident call to strength. It's a very evident call to overcome something significant. Pleasure is a much more dangerous temptation. You can sink and fail because of pleasure and think that your life is being successful and it's not. But at least in pain, he has given us a clarion call. I read a book this week uh, by Steve Gully, who's a who's a, a Quaker preacher in Indianapolis, and uh, and I think the title of the book was something like Tales from the Front Porch. It's a it's it's about his growing up and the characters when he grew up and and uh, um, he says there was an old doctor in his town, and the doctor had bought a a ten acre plot and put built a house on the plot, and he said when he wasn't practicing medicine he'd, he'd go out there. In, the, in his old uh, coveralls, his old uh, bib, bib overalls, rather, and uh, plant trees. He said he loved to plant trees. He, he said he thinks this doctor's goal was to, to, to make a forest on, on that 10 acres. But he said he had a very strange approach to husbandry. Um, he, he came from the horticultural school of no pain, no gain. In other words, when he planted these trees, he wouldn't water them. Not only would he, would he not water him, when he planted a tree, he'd go out in the morning and start slapping it with a newspaper. And so Steve one day went over to him and said, why are you doing that? And he said, I'm just getting its attention here. And he said, I, I've noticed you don't water these things. Why don't you water them? And the doc says, because I want the roots to go deep. And if you water a tree, it spoils them. Because the, the roots know that the water is near the top. But if they, they have to sink their roots way down deep, then later on they'll be stronger. Steve said later on, I planted trees of my own. And he said, I babied those things. I watered them every day. And now, whenever there's a storm, I look at these weeny trees I got. He said, they look like they're just going to fall over when the breeze comes. But I walk past the dock's property. And he's got these tall, strong trees. He says, you know what? I pray differently for my boys now. They used to go in their rooms and say, oh God, protect them from all of the hardships of life. Now I go in and I pray, I pray God, give them deep roots. You see, God has in his sovereignty a desire not to just let us cope, but to make us stronger to make us better. There's an old saying, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I believe that. I believe that. And there is a great mercy in that. Now, read on with me, and we will see this unbelievable challenge that Jesus gives us to do this radical kind of good, not just to restrain from doing evil, but 
and while I think of it, let me just tell you why we should restrain from doing evil. You see, there's a law of reciprocity in Scripture itself. It says in Matthew 7, 2, whatever standards you meet out, those will be the standards met for you. And, and it says in Galatians 6, 7, God's not mocked. Whatever you sow, you'll reap. Now let me ask you this question. If you sow something negative, if you sow something destructive, if you sow something hurtful, do you think that law of reciprocity is in any less effect because you happen to sow that in retaliation for how you've been hurt? Not on your life. No, it's still in effect. And what will happen is that will come back on you. Even though in your mind you think it's justified, you have just put into motion something you're going to reap later on and you don't want to reap it. And so part of this is just protection for you. But the other part, the other half, is so much more important. Read on with me. Jesus says this, verse 43, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now let me stop right here and say, it says nowhere in the Old Testament you're supposed to hate your enemy. That's what, you cannot find that in the Old Testament. But what happened is, God said, love your neighbor, and people started defining who their neighbor was. Well, who is my neighbor? Well, it's a, it's a Jew. And, and what kind of Jew? Well, it's a Jew kind of like me. Uh, good Jew. And, and so anytime you start defining who you must love, in your mind, it's only a while before you start defining who you don't have to love. And that's exactly what happened. They assumed that because God said, love these people, God said, it's okay to hate these people. That's why Jesus, in the, good, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, redefined who your neighbor was. Who is your neighbor, Jesus said. And of course, the, the moral of the story was your neighbor who is whoever needs you. Jesus tore down those barriers because he knew what we'd do with them. He knew as long as we focused on loving someone, we would find an excuse why not to love someone else. Now, Jesus goes on, and he says, But I say to you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you, in order that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. A better translation of the Greek is, in order that you may be shown to be. You see, it's not our actions that make us sons, it's our faith. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are adopted into the family of God. Not by anything we do. But once we are adopted into the family, then the, in biblical terms, the, the child always shows the traits of the father or of the parents. And so Jesus is saying, I want you to come up with this kind of love that your father has. So that when people look at you, they see him. What kind of love is that? Well, he explains. For he causes his son to, to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You see, there's no discrimination there. He gives them both what they cannot get for themselves. He loves proactively, indiscriminately. For if you love those who, who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax gatherers do the same? He just named the class of people who were the extortioners of the day. 
The tax gatherers had this set amount of tax that if they gathered, they would earn a living and, and the, the, the amount was standard. But they had permission to try to gather more. And so this, they were the picture of people who were trying to get what they didn't deserve and take away from people what they were unwilling to give, take advantage of people. And Jesus said, you get mad at those people, yet you love just like they do. You just love people who are easy to love, and you love people who love you back. What good is that? What difference is that? Can't Jews look at Christians and say, this is what you do, why can't we do it? Of course they can. There's got to be something different about us. What is it? Read on. If you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect. The Greek word here is talios, and it means complete, mature. When we are, are bringing people to maturity in Christ, this is where we get that from. We are to have that other half, that not just getting even, but loving better, giving unbelievably. Why? Because that's the nature of our Father. That's what He does. He gives way beyond what we deserve. You are to be perfect, complete, mature, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, again, let me give you a picture of that. This week I went to see my dad. I don't get to see him very often. He's in a nursing home in Ohio. And I've only got a little while, a little window left. He's blind and he's He's almost deaf, and I've only got a little window left where he'll be able to communicate with me. So I try to go and see him as often as I can. My sister goes there every day. She lives right by her. Um, um, but I, anyhow, I went to, up, uh, flew up uh, on the 3rd and uh, went to visit. We had a good visit. And then on the 4th, I tried to go back to see him, but I forgot what uh, you do in a small town on the 4th of July. Uh, you have a parade. Now, I haven't seen a parade in 30 years. I used to, I came from a small town, so I used to watch parades. I enjoyed parades, but I forgot they were having a parade. And so I couldn't even get near the nursing home because everybody's parked on the end of the streets blocked off. So I parked my car and I just started walking. And as I'm walking, I'm walking past all these real, I mean, it's just small town, little, little houses, little neat lawns, you know, and people are People are lined up. This, the nursing home where he's at is on the, on the main parade route. And so I'm walking down here, and all the families, all the kids, all the grandparents, all the aunts and uncles, everybody's lined up on the street. And, and, and a lot of the people have in their front yards refreshments for the, for the guests that they have. And, and oh, everybody's laughing. They can't wait for the parade. Here comes the parade. They can hear it in the distance, and they're all excited. Well, by the time I get uh, to to the nursing home, they've got every one of those residents lined up in their wheelchairs on the parade route. They're out there, you know, waiting for this thing. And I spot my dad. Now, my dad's, as I said, blind, and he's, he has a hard time sitting up, and so he's, he's kind of leaning. I go up behind him. I said, I said, Dad, this is great. We get to watch another parade together. I'm going to describe the parade to you here. And so I, and, and, and Dad, used to love praise because he was in the legion and he marched in the honor guard. And so I'm, just, I'm describing everything that's starting to go past. And first thing is the honor guard. I said, Dad, there's the honor guard. Remember all the, the times you marched in these parades? And he said, he said, yeah, and I bet I could still get in my uniform too. I said, yeah, yeah, you could. And so, 
So I'm, I'm really, I'm enjoying this. I'm loving it. It's the longest stinking parade I've ever seen in my life. But, so I'm describing one after another. You know, and then we have the, we have the police that go by there, and we have the, the army, you know, tanks and the thing, and we have the, uh, the fire engines and, and, and all of that kind of stuff. We have the, we've got the Boy Scouts, and we've got the, the, oh, they had a little majorette troop. It was so cute. I didn't even know they did majorettes anymore. But this is like a majorette academy. And they had, they had this, this uh, sparkle, uh, uh, what do you call those? Uh, uh, sequin. Yeah, they had a sequin thing going on, you know? And they, it was so cute. They had them all the way from like middle school down to like four-year-olds. They had little batons about this big. <laughs> no, four-year-olds, you know? I mean, under there. And it was so cute. Oh, man, it was like terminally cute. And so, and so I'm just describing all this and... You know, and they had the tractor sex. This is a farming. They had the tractors go by, you know. And then one of my favorite sections of a parade is the local politician section. You know, if you're a local politician, you got to be in the parade here. And so I'm saying, here comes the politicians, Dad. And you can always, you can always tell the rank because the higher ranking politicians know somebody with a convertible. And so they can, they can ride and they can wave, you know. But the lower ranking, they got to walk. And so I'm looking out here, and I just, I, for some reason, focus on this one gal. I mean, I, she was, I mean, the essence to me of, I'm just glad that she made office somehow. <laughs> Nowhere but in America would this woman make office. And, and, and I, 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 she, 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 had to, she had a pants, you know, a polyester pantsuit on, and... and uh, and uh, she was giving those seams a run for their money, if you, <laughs> if you know what I mean. <laughs> and, you know, had that, had that Velcro strap tennis shoe thing going on down there, and, uh, which was probably a pretty good idea. And, and she, but it was, she was in her glory. She was waving to her constituents. And, and I can't, I don't even know what I, I read. I mean, it was a... Her, her title was like, like township assistant clerk uh, in the area of bovine activity or something. I don't know what, it, I, I don't know exactly what it was. But, but here's a woman, I, I looked at this woman, I said, I just said, God bless America. This is so cool that this woman can hold office. I mean, she's in her glory and she's waving to people, you know, and, I've, and, and she's got a little bag of candy. Now, now this woman is um, what I would call uh, probably deep country. Deep country is, uh, um, there's a section of America that, uh, that has, uh, uh, well, a lot, of, a lot of them have three first names, you know, Billy Bob John, you know, or, or Mary Betty Francis, but call me Sue. You, know, I don't, you, you, go, you go to deep country uh, uh, weddings, and uh, a lot of times they're all sitting on one side of the church, if you get my drift here. <laughs> got that cousin thing going on. But it was so cute. Here she is, and she's got one bag of candy. You know, because camp, campaign fund, funds in deep country aren't easy to come by. And so every 15 or 20 feet, she reaches in and throws one piece of candy into the crowd, you know, waving. It was just so cute. I just thought it was so cool. 
And, but the candy things get, gets me where I want to go because all of the nursing home residents you know, are sitting there and, and the, the, uh, uh, the, the staff at the nursing home, these young girls. And again, we're talking wonderful girls. They're, they're, these are, we're not talking homecoming queens here. We're talking people who get out of high school, hire on at the local nursing home, because that's all they can, that's what they do. It's minimum wage, and they kiss more wrinkled faces and clean up more stinky messes than, than they could ever get paid for. And they love those people, and I love them. I love those people for taking care of my dad. I love him for hugging him and, and, and kidding him. Herbie, how you doing today? I, I, I just think it's wonderful. But they're having a heyday. This parade is something they've been waiting for. And they're all like little kids. Here are people in their 20s and 30s and 40s, you know, going, throw me the candy! <laughs> and, and, a, and a fire truck will go by and somebody will throw candy and they'll race out, outrun the little kids in the crowd <laughs> and get, I mean, this little two-year-old can't get the candy, you know, because these, these nursing home staff people are getting that candy. But they're taking it back and they're giving it to the residents who can't go, of course. And they're having a ball. They're giggling and laughing. And I'm watching them, and I'm watching a couple give candy to the, to the nursing home cusser. Now, now, you probably don't know this, but in every nursing home, there's at least one cusser. I, I had this one, one in, my, in my, one of my first churches, we had somebody who, who had to go in a nursing home. His name was Stuart, and he had to go in a nursing home because his family literally could not take care of him. He wasn't happy about it. They weren't happy about it. But he just started his cussing career. I mean, he was an old railroader anyhow. And every time I went in that man's room, he'd start cussing a blue streak. I mean, he'd cuss me. He'd cuss the church. He'd cuss uh, medicine. He'd cuss his family. He'd cuss every. He'd cuss, 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 cuss. Use every cuss word he could possibly think of. And when he had completely exhausted himself, I'd look at him and I'd say, well, Stuart, do you want me to pray for you today? <laughs> and he'd look at me and say, well, of course I do. I'm not an atheist. I'm just mad. <laughs> well, 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 in this nursing home that my dad's in, there's a cusser. You can hear him all over that nursing home. And everybody that comes in his room, he just starts cussing a blue streak, especially the staff. These, these little girls that are giving their lives, and, and they'll come in, and he just... And, and so I watch them, and they, and they take these to this guy who cusses them out every day, and they take this money, or this, this, this candy, and they, and they go like this. He goes, <laughs> he eats the candy, you know, but he, you know... And, and in, my, in my mind, that was the, the quintessential picture of what a Christian needs to do. Are there angry people in your life? Of course there are. And many times their anger doesn't really have to do with you. You're just the one who happens to go in the room with them. You're the one who happens across their path that they can vent all of that stored up stuff. And you got to ask yourself before you go there what you're going to do because you know what the reaction is going to be, what the tendency is going to be. I want to tell you tonight, I know some of you are struggling with people in your life that have hurt you. 
And I know that you know that they need some kind word, even though they don't deserve it. And I know that you know you're so worn out, you don't know if you can give it to them because you haven't got anything left. I mean, your tanks are empty. But I want to tell you something. You can do it. Even when you haven't got anything left, you can do it because the Christ who lives in you did exactly that for you. There was nothing left there. He went into emotional debt. I know some of you are operating on empty, and, and to give anything more, you're going to go below empty. You're going to go in debt physically because you're not getting enough rest now. You're, you're going to go in debt emotionally because you're not getting enough, enough love now. And you say, what can I do? I haven't got anything myself. How am I going to give it to them? You can do it. You can do it because Christ lives in you and because that's who he is and that's what he's done for you. Years ago, before the Berlin Wall was torn down, there was an incident where some residents of East Berlin gathered all of the stinking garbage they could on a truck and they backed it up to the Berlin Wall at a very densely populated area on the west side, and they threw this garbage, just dumped all this garbage on the other side of the wall. The West Berliners came, and they cleaned up the mess, and they planned their response. Three days later, on the corresponding side, the East Berlin side of the wall, there appeared piles of freshly baked bread, of ironed shirts, of utensils, of other stuffs that were necessary for a wonderful daily life. Along with this note, you can only give what you have. Let me tell you what you have. You've got Christ. You may not know why somebody has hurt you as they have. You may never know. But what you have is Christ. And what you can give is his love. Pray with me. Lord, help us to understand that our salvation does not come by responding to our fleshly inclination. Because if we pay attention only to our flesh, we will simply escalate the hate and we will start a cycle of destruction that surely will come back on us again. Help us to understand that there is a better way and his name is Jesus. Help us to understand that you give us the power of the blood. That we can choose to be emotionally bankrupt by following after the flesh, or we can choose to be saved by thinking of the blood. 
Help us, Lord God, to have the nature of Christ. And help us even though everything in us wants to hate and strike out. Help us to choose love. We pray in Jesus' name.